Mike Palmer here, uh, joined by uh, my colleague uh, Dan Stratford. Dan, welcome, welcome to the music show. I'm glad to be here. Ready to talk some some music. Yeah, oh, music. Yeah, and you're gonna uh, you're gonna bring the 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 paralinguistic uh, aspect to your voice, right? That so is, that, of, always. Yeah, you're gonna emote. People are gonna hear sounds. It'll 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 be wonderful. And uh, and as if that were not enough, you know, we already had some time with Brandon, who uh, unfortunately can't be uh, be be with us for this segment. But we're able to bring in a, a, a special guest. So uh, Ken uh, or Kenny. Either one. Or even Kenneth. Or Kenneth, yeah. All, all three of those things. Uh, Florence is, join, is joining us. That was, that, was, that was Ken just talking. Welcome to the show, Ken. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, uh, so Ken's our, 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 our special guest for this segment. And uh, you're someone who's, uh, who's been connected to music uh, I guess pretty much throughout your life. Is that right? Whole life. Yeah. Uh, can you talk to our listeners about uh, Ken's uh, story uh, or Ken's, Ken's lifetime learning and music, uh, how those two things uh, come together? Sure. I'll give it a try. Um, so I'm a composer, multi-instrumentalist, producer, and uh, teacher, actually. And uh, I get, well, I've been, I've been playing music uh, since I was a kid. And... Um, after high school, I got really lucky with a band I was in called Annuals and got uh, signed to a major record label. And you were, uh, it was like Kenny Florence and the Annuals, right? You were kind of like, you were the I, front I was man. not the front man. Ah, okay. I was not the front man. I was, I was side man. Okay. Uh, lead guitar player is, is what I'm uh, credited with in, in most of the uh, recordings. So you were kind of like, you were like slash to some other Axel uh, Guns N' Roses uh, thing here? In many ways, I was like Slash. In yes. many ways, I was not well, like that, Slash. That's probably a fair... Probably a good thing for my career. It's probably true. It's probably true of all of us, if you really think about it. But uh, but yeah, so you were part of, the, part of the annuals. Yeah, so I did that for about six years after high school. Um, after a, a very, very brief stint uh, in art school, actually, I should mention. Got it. Um, and uh, I, I kind of... Um, just started to feel sort of disillusioned with with the the indie band lifestyle. Yep. And uh, I decided to go back to school and um, and uh, learn composition. And so I did that through my my masters. Mm-hmm. And uh, now I'm a, a working composer, musician, and teacher yeah. uh, here in New York City. Uh, I I score films and commercials uh, in a freelance capacity. I work for uh, Manhattan Prep. Yeah. Um, on the their their media team. Sure. Um, doing a lot of uh, scoring and and just kind of general audio work. Yep. Um, and, uh, I, I teach, uh, guitar and piano lessons. Yeah. So a lot of, uh, bona fides, we call those, uh, bona fides. So you have a lot of, uh, angles into music, teaching music, uh, composing music, all those things are, are really interesting. And we've been, this show, we've been thinking a lot about, uh, the relationship between music and learning right. and, uh, and some of the research, uh, into, um, where music uh, can enhance learning, uh, and how music uh, is uh, is sort of deep, deeply wired into different aspects of our cognition and our brains. Um, you were mentioning also that um, you uh, you see music uh, as well. Like there's there's this notion or this 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 I guess uh, neurological phenomenon. I, I don't know exactly the right. You'll, you'll help me land some of this in a second, but uh, but called synesthesia. 
Um, and that's something that, that you, uh, do you have synesthesia or you are uh, synesthetic? Like what's the, what's the right uh, way to talk about this? Well, either one of those works, I think. You can okay. say that you have synesthesia or that you are – I think the, uh, the noun form is synesthete. Uh-huh. Sure. You're, uh, you're a synesthete or you could um, be synesthetic. I think th- th- those all work. Sure, sure. To describe the, the phenomenon. Yeah. But I, it's roughly – it's like the, uh, the involuntary cross-activation of a particular sensory modality, mm-hmm. not typically associated with the object of perception. Sure. So it, it based, like, for instance, uh, seeing uh, – looking at the number two and thinking blue. Right. Uh, which for me would be false, but uh, <laughs> right, right. Th- two is actually red for me. Um, oh, okay. I think the most common form of synesthesia is uh, exists between uh, letters, numbers, and colors. Okay. So it's where you have this sort of um, this fixed involuntary set of associations um, between letters of the alphabet, numbers, and certain colors. Interesting. And then. Does that relate to music for you as well, or it, well, it does because uh, you know notes are, are given uh, alphabetical um, ah, designations in our Western musical system. Got it. So every time I, I you know, for instance, I think of uh, the note A. Yes, it's yellow. Ah, always. And what if you think about it as like a note on a clef? Does is that uh, is that colorless, or is your sort of root understanding? the letter, and then when you think of the letter, you get a color. Yeah, the clef doesn't really change it. Because, I mean, uh-huh. you can see you could see the note A on, on any number of clefs. Right. And then for me, it's, it's always yellow. So, so you actually have like a technicolor clef in your mind. <laughs> Pretty much. It's, not, it's, it's actually not that, the, that the, the, the pictorial representation of the, of the uh, note itself becomes yellow. Right. It's that it's like my mind is kind of uh, partitioned. Yes. And I have both the note A and then just like the color yellow sort of in the abstract. Wow, that's that's amazing. Aura of yellow, like just sort of the idea of yellow is there. Right. That's, right. That's really interesting because like we, um, one concept we've been kicking around, like we talk about neuromyths and like demystifying right. things, debunking things um, on the show a lot. One of the ones that really fascinates me is the the the, I think this is actually a myth just because who knows how people make up the, per- the percentage, but the idea that we only use 10% of our brains. Um, yeah, who I, knows where that comes from? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's a good topic for, for a future show. But I feel like the idea that we're only aware of a very small aspect of how our brains function because typically we can only pay attention to a very limited amount of stuff at any point in time. I think the science does back up that idea but then um folks like yourself who then um like it's almost like this uh difference you know we talk about diversity a lot too and like this difference in terms of your how your brain functions um is actually advantageous um to your sort of artistic orientation your ability to compose is that is that is that a fair assessment or i guess maybe it's just correlated uh, as well. Sure. I mean, it, no, that my, my synesthesia definitely informs my compositional process, but perhaps not so in a way that really translates to the listener, mm-hmm. but it, sure. it definitely helps me sort of get to where I'm going and make, make the moment to moment decisions I need to make to, to, you know, write a piece of music. Yeah. Um, for instance, like when I'm, when I'm considering like the track order of an album, um, 
or a playlist. I would never put a song in the key of A as a third track, ever. Because for me, that's a cognitive dissonance. And so that might lead to certain um, patterns that, you know, might be sort of subconsciously perceptible to the listener. Right. Um, and maybe, like, it informs kind of how my style comes across. Yeah. But probably not in a way that that um, would be obvious. Right. But it's it, almost like the, the kind of like the that underlying pattern that you you almost uh naturally and uh i guess almost unconsciously but it's it's sort of a conscious perception i imagine so like uh that sets you up with uh a consistency and a patternicity that listeners pick up on but it's driven by something that you don't feel as much uh conscious control over Right. That's exactly right. Huh. Dan. It's uh, amazing to hear you talk about track list on a CD as we live in a world now that individual songs are released and you, you get them sort of in piecemeal. But it does bring me back to the idea of the composition of the track list, right? Of how all of those songs feed into one another and how an entire album can, can live and breathe. Mm-hmm. You see you know, a connection that Mike and Brandon were talking about was the idea of having music on the background when you were studying. You know, the idea of uh, having, whether it's Mozart and the idea of a, a baby in the womb listening to classical music and thus being smarter, or when you're studying yourself, the idea of recall due to music. Um, as we study, we're obviously studying for long lengths of time. The track base and how they flow into one another, the type of music, do you see that in your own walk of life and how you go about things? that it does help you remember things that, that, you know, one song going into another, not being distracting, just sort of being in the background. Or were you somebody who couldn't study with music on because of uh, the way your brain worked? I can't do it. Yeah. You know, I, if I, I think it's, it's something that, that comes along with musical training. If sure. you're trained to, to analyze everything you hear, well, it's, it's, it's really, really hard to tune it out and to just kind of um, make it part of the background. You know, but I mean, I certainly I have a lot of students who tell me that they um, that they, you know, get a lot of help from from putting music on the back or certain genres of music on the background right. mm-hmm. while they're studying. I think the uh, the classical music thing, uh, I think there's something to that, because I think essentially classical music uh, is a lot more directly pattern based mm-hmm. than a lot of other forms of music. I mean, that's. All music is pattern based, right? But right. but classical music kind of like that's the point, right? It's it, it's like the exploration right. of pattern as such, mm-hmm. you know. So I think that um, it doesn't necessarily maybe lead to specific like temporal uh, connections in terms of like you know what flows into what and how that bolsters the the information that you're taking in. Mm-hmm. I think what it does is it just kind of fosters a general mindset, mm-hmm. a general mindset that's kind of like, it puts you in the mind space of, of, of sort of contemplating pattern. Sure. And it's, I guess, it's, go ahead, Dan. It's the idea when you're driving, listening to classical music tends to calm you down and tends to be a better uh, thing for traffic. Whereas listening to, you know, aggressive hard rock will bring up your, your uh, ability to get upset and, and get angry at other drivers. Um, I've seen studies and, and papers on that. And now they have to do larger samples. Um, for you, Ken, personally, you just said, and I think it's a really interesting point, that you were, you've been trained to study music and to sort of, when it's on the background, you want to focus on it, right? You want, you want to sort of pick it apart and understand it. Um, 
do you find that music has helped you learn other things? Like learning the music the way you have and, and the way you can dissect and, and understand it. Has it helped you in other ways or maybe even has it hindered the way you learn how to um, change car oil or how maybe you, I know you live in New York City, so that's not really the best example, but um, has it helped you in other ways to be more methodical in the way you learn things? Sure. I mean, I, th- I think it, it, what it really does is it helps you get into flow states. You know, mm-hmm. if you have a regular practice of, of, of sort of achieving a certain kind of flow, and, uh, then, then you can apply that to other areas of and, your life. And just to clarify, you mean flow by, uh, based on the research of Mikhail uh, Csikszentmihalyi? Yes. Yes, exactly that. Uh, I'm just very proud that I can pronounce his last name. I, I, I had to spend time learning how to pronounce uh, Csikszentmihalyi. I'm not going to attempt it. Yeah. It's <laughs> but easy. that sounds right. It's like Csikszentmihalyi. It's actually not that hard. Uh, surprisingly, but it, but it is surprisingly hard to get into a flow state. Uh, and, uh, and then music it, can help you get there for sure. Although your point earlier, I think was interesting, uh, as well in that, um, since you're so tuned into music, uh, it can almost start to inhibit the flow state in that if you're trying to focus on anything else, it's almost occupying too much of your attention to allow you to have the cognitive focus uh, on the thing that you want to be focused on. Well, it's it it, it's, it can inhibit uh, information processing, mm-hmm. but it doesn't inhibit other activities which could benefit from a flow state themselves. Yep. So, like if I if if I were changing the oil right. of my car, right? Like that's kind of a mechanical process that I don't have to really use much brain power to to do. Sure. And so I think having music on can can sort of lends to the to the sort of rhythmic um yep. a- aspect of performing the task mm-hmm. um and and can definitely get you in a flow state that kind of uh you know where where what you're doing kind of resonates with the music yeah and and then the idea of a flow state uh can can you explain that a little bit more yeah it's it's kind of a um a cognitive modality that um that involves a, a release of in, of uh, of deliberate action, mm-hmm. or it, or you could define it as the opposite of that. Right. It's it's uh it's it's deliberate action without effort. Right. So you're kind of um. You you let go of your direct control over what's going on and kind of just allow the thing to 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 perform itself. Right. Almost as like a detached observer. For sure. To the scene. And it's. It's frequently like I've heard it described. I've heard this described by musicians in a bunch of different ways. Uh, recently, I saw uh, Jay Z interviewed by uh, David Letterman, like that Netflix uh, thing was going out there, and uh, Jay Z was talking about it more around uh, around you know flow or like around lyrics. But he was saying there's there's those times when I'm quote in the pocket is what he said, which I, I think that language might have he might have even picked up on that from like uh, Coltrane. And like jazz musicians, but the idea that like, and it's also like, I've heard it also talked about as a group, like when a group is in swing or like when a group is like, uh, synchronized enough, like a band, it definitely works that way too, where like the individual gets into a flow state as an individual performer, but then also a group of musicians or a group of teammates, um, can kind of get into a collective rhythm where they're just sort of performing um optimally um 
Dan, you look like it, you're about the to say San Antonio something. Spurs in basketball, like three or four years ago. The idea that they just all knew where the other was going to be, and the mm-hmm. plays just sort of ran themselves rather right. than needing real human influence. That's a really I hadn't thought of it uh, from a learning perspective, like from a, uh, that sort of higher level uh, idea behind it. Uh, but that's really intriguing um, to think of. I always we, I equate it to athletics a lot right. of times from from where I'm from uh, personally, but. Uh, it's intriguing to think of it as uh, an actual learning way of getting into the flow of the learning. And- yeah, I think it's a performative thing is the way I think of it. So like it's sports, it's music, it's taking tests. Uh- yeah, I mean, a lot of um, a lot of uh, the music of indigenous cultures around the world is is kind of centered around this collective act of music making. Yep. Um, which doesn't really like feature solo artists or or like you know, refined articulation of very specific musical patterns, right. but more so the sort of like emergence of a collective flow. Sure. It's like, a, I was going to say like a flash mob, but it's actually the opposite of a flash mob. If, if a flash mob was actually spontaneous and people would just, you know, start making music, you know, in Grand Central uh, at random, uh, it just because it emerges from the culture in like a way that's natural. It's like a drum circle, I guess, is the way I, w- I would think about it, where like that's more, I guess, what you're describing, where like uh, there's even one in uh, in Brooklyn in Prospect Park, you know, but no, like, I've seen that one. Yeah, exactly. And it's like somebody starts, you know, frequently like there's not even anybody doing anything. There might be just a couple people standing around and somebody starts, you know, playing one drum, somebody starts dancing and then before you know it by like, you know, six o'clock on a Sunday night uh, in Prospect Park in the summer, there's like a whole, there's a whole party going on. And, uh, and nobody was like, okay, can, can you please start hitting this drum in this particular way? And then Dan, can you start uh, getting down uh, in the way that only you can (laughs) instead? Fair fair description. Yeah, well, it's it's, exactly. But um, that's fascinating. Yeah. And, um, it is also like music does perform that function, I guess, in, in the other way too, right? Like so that when music is played uh, to a group, it does get the group synchronized in a way that they wouldn't be otherwise. So like in terms of group performance, um, you know, I, I'd be curious, maybe we could look for more research around that, but like yep. does a group perform better? What types of tasks do groups perform better when there is uh, shared music? Um, and then at what point, you know, Dan mentioned Muzak, uh, whether intentionally or not at the top of this segment. But like at what point uh, can the music actually like almost create a, a, a different vibe within a group? Um, and that's something we're also curious about, I think, on this show, too. So one of the things we hope our listeners will start to notice is maybe more of Ken's influence, more your influence uh, as we get more sound from you, because uh, that's one of the things we're really looking uh, to do. Like, can that change the mood? Can that get everybody, can it trigger different thinking or different um, aspects of your cognition? Um, you yeah, to... really looking forward to, to being a part of that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dan, I know you mentioned um, you had some musical uh, anecdotes or or component. There was something about being monotone, right? Can I you... do. Yeah, I've I've a few. Um, one is in high school. Um, long story short, my brother's a, a singer, singer and an actor, so I always wanted to be a, a singer as well. Uh, in high school, I was monotone. I I didn't hear notes. So I was tone deaf and just couldn't hear notes. Uh, joined the chorus, was able to mimic people, but was never able to hear them on my own. Uh, mm-hmm. So I was never able to hit like notes on a page or understand 
where my voice was supposed to go. Uh, in college, I went to do radio, surprising. Um, and I was monotone still, so uh, my choral director from high school offered to give me voice lessons, singing lessons. Um, and so every Saturday for four months, I went and met him for two hours, and we do voice lessons. And outside, on the other side of that, I was able to understand my vocal range. Still have trouble singing, I, I will admit that. Um, but I can mimic people much better and mimic songs. And if I hear it once, I can sort of copy uh, people singing. But vocally, singing really opened up my speaking voice and my ability to, to do radio and to do play-by-play in sports. Mm. So that was always something I didn't go into it. I just was doing it for fun. I love the choral director. He's a great guy. He's yeah. actually a big Penn State football fan. So we talked more about sports. But over time, it really changed the way I was able to talk, right. um, which was interesting. And uh, the other one is my daughter takes piano. And so, Ken, I want to sort of ask you this question. Um, she is a bit mechanical in approach in everything. So she's very math oriented, very, you know, two plus two is four and I know it's four. And so when it comes to piano, at first she was very much, and still is, these are the notes I play. These are the notes I play when I play them. Do you see, and this is growth mindset, I know, but do you see a development for someone who has that sort of approach to music, the improvisation side of it? Do you think that's a growth mindset that can happen where someone can open up a side of them that allows music to be more of the flow, more of the organic process? Or do you think it's sort of a, a way someone goes about it and approaches music that maybe she'll be more mechanical her whole life, which she'll be, she's good at piano, not taking that away from her, but not exactly, you're not expecting jazz to flow from the fingers when she sits down at, at the piano. Hmm. In so in my personal experience teaching, people definitely seem to fall into two, two groups, right? The, the people like your daughter who are more mechanical in their approach and the people who are more intuitive mm -hmm. and right. improvisational in their approach. It's very, very rare for a person to to cross back and forth between that that uh, that bridge. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there are very, very rare exceptions, like like a uh, like the Marsalis brothers, for, sure. for instance, who are yep. are all actively involved in jazz and classical music, mm -hmm. or maybe even like a Yo Yo Ma, right. who does a certain degree of uh, of improvisation in his you know. Uh, in what he does, I, I resisted the urge to say, "Would you? Would you call me, Yo-Yo uh, Ma, the, the 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 classical the, cl the cellist?" Yes, yes, yes. yes. Um, but it's it's a it's a definite path that you could go down, and you, you can really, really take that mechanical mindset and develop it into something wonderful, right? You know, I mean, I mean, I, I would. I hope I'm not offending anybody by saying this, but I would um, categorize most of the classical music world. Uh, you know, as part of that camp. Right. I think most people who go into classical music and, and are train themselves, to, who train themselves to play music from a page, sure. from interpreting symbols off of a page, yep. tend to kind of just naturally, uh, you know, group themselves in that manner. Sure. And and follow that trajectory. Yeah, that's interesting too. Cause, and uh, just to be clear, uh, Ken's views uh, are entirely his own, uh, as are all of ours. Uh, so we're not representing... Uh, Necessarily representing Kaplan or Manhattan Prep or or any anyone besides ourselves, but uh, but yeah, I mean you you have deep knowledge in this area and and uh, I think that makes a lot of sense. It is interesting. I was talking to uh, we, we're going to try to talk to more music music educators and like as we have this conversation too, like this could probably maybe grow even into its own sort of p podcast about music because I think that'd be really interesting for Absolutely. us to like learning and approaches to musical education. But um, I was talking to uh some music professors uh, a couple weeks ago and uh, over dinner. And uh, they were saying that 
um, similar to what you're saying, um, there are different approaches to exposing people to music. So like it's probably a combination of maybe a natural inclination and then also how, how you're introduced to music and how, how music is part of your life. Um, cause they were very, uh, passionate about not, um, not regimenting the musical education early and not, uh, almost like a Montessori, Montessori school, uh, kind of orientation towards music where have musical stuff around the kids and allow the kids to express themselves through music and then guide them to get better as opposed to, uh, the piano recital, the, the sort of classical training. Uh, at a relatively early age, you're sort of measured, your musical ability is measured against some external standard. And uh, th these guys are jazz musicians, so I think that they, they have their own perspective. But, um, but they were saying that they, they thought that was problematic because uh, like, they like to improvise and, and do uh, jazz and understand the, the sort of the, even like one of them was looking at the neurology or the neurochemistry of improvisation. and um, they were finding that like even the, your brain behaves differently when you're trying to um, it's almost like reading a teleprompter versus doing improv, you know? So like if it's trying to hit words or, or um, reciting a poem versus uh, freestyling, uh, it's which we'll a, do in a moment. right? Yeah. I'm waiting for you to sing by the way, Dan, but uh, <laughs> there's video evidence. Yes. You don't, you don't want uh, that. Maybe, maybe, a, maybe a karaoke episode uh, would, would also, would also be interesting, but um uh, we could definitely, we could continue to go, go on, but, uh, but just as we're, we're, we're wrapping up this, uh, this segment, Ken, like one of the things we like to ask our guests, uh, and, and, uh, I imagine we'll have you back on, uh, more often, but, um, what trends are, are you noticing? Like, what are you, uh, observing in the world? What's got your attention in terms of emerging trends and things, uh, maybe as they relate to music or they relate to music education? Um, well, there's um, been sort of an explosion in uh, sort of do-it-yourself online music learning mm -hmm. uh, services that are being offered. Yep. Um, I don't really know much about them. I, I, I can tell you that I have a lot of people uh, who have tried those services, um, sort of become frustrated with them, and, and uh, as a result have, have decided to take – have sought me out. Yeah. You know, have sought out you know, personal instruction as, a, as an alternative. Yep. Um, so I don't really, I can't really report on the numbers, um, uh, in terms of, of, uh, how that's being received, but, but it, it definitely seems to be a trend. Right. Um, I think if I were to, uh, if I were to have to state a preference for my, my favorite trend, uh, in recent years, it would probably have to be the, the guitar hero trend that, that sort of swept the, sure. the world yeah. I guess a decade ago at this point. Sure. And that was, uh, that was very, very good for, for, uh, music teachers yes because you know every every kid was inspired by that you know yeah. they, come, they come in and they say oh I, I i'm a really really good guitar player on guitar hero and that doesn't necessarily translate into actual skills but right. it does def it does foster an interest yeah or maybe also guitar, uh not just the the guitar but uh but dan yes it, it just reminds me of uh your interview with rohit and his fender story that he yes. tells yes. about the idea that fender finally realized that if uh someone trying to learn guitar learns the song they love first it sort of opens up their world more than teaching them, hey, play this note, play this rhythm, and then eventually you'll play Down on the Corner or something by Clapton or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. um, so Ken, to your point, the idea of a guitar hero 
kid, you know, t- just teaching them, A, whether it's Smoke on the Water or whatever song was on uh, Guitar Hero, maybe start with that uh, and get them to understand how hard it's going to be, but also that, that they can get there. Just uh, reminded me of the Rohit uh, comment there. Yeah, so um, we'll be hearing more, hopefully uh, a lot more from Ken uh, uh, in the future. Hopefully more sound uh, from you in addition to your voice uh, is another thing we're hoping to start uh, in- incorporating into into the show, which which will be great. And uh, and yeah, thanks uh, thanks to Ken, uh, Ken Florence, uh, Kenny Florence, uh, all those things uh, for joining us. And uh, thanks as always to Dan. Uh, we'll uh, we'll we'll continue uh, to talk music over the next uh, week or so, and uh, hopefully uh, hopefully we'll get some good uh, good listener feedback on that. So uh, thanks for listening. Yeah.